Hey, welcome back to the Breaking Bad Insider Podcast. My name is Kelly Dixon. We're here on uh, episode number 313, our last episode of season three. Um, here with my writer, director, and executive producer, creator, and all-around guru, Vince Gilligan. Hey, hey everybody. How you doing? That's a good intro, Kelly. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, you, you left something out, I think. I, you know, uh, I okay, know, just I, some... call it. <laughs> <laughs> all-around good guy. My hero, Vince Gilligan. Thank you very much. Um, Who else we have? Also, we got our co-executive producer on the show, Michelle McLaren. Hello. And our producer, uh, Melissa Bernstein. Hello. Thanks for coming, you guys. (laughs) Glad to be here, Kelly. Thanks for having us. This is going to be our last podcast, I think. Well, it's definitely our last show podcast. Well, let's not say last. That sounds so permanent. Okay. Last of the season. Last Last of the season. season Last Last of season three podcast. Um, and it's kind of a special one because we have not had Vince Gilligan in the writer slash director position since the pilot. This is true. Welcome back, Vince. Well, <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> I have not directed an episode. I haven't directed anything, not even traffic, not since, uh, <laughs> since the pilot of, uh, of, uh, of, of Breaking Bad. Uh, and that was several years ago now. And this was a very different experience. So how, how so, different Vince was it, Gilligan? Vince? <laughs> it was, uh. I'm glad you asked. It was a uh, no. I mean, this this job is really really hard. And we got Michelle sitting here, and she's done it uh, more times than I have. Uh, I mean, just Breaking Bad alone, you've directed uh, four episodes now. I have. And uh, now Very I've done. Well, well, we're fortunate to have you, and I've I've done two now. But uh, uh, the pilot on a pilot uh, usually have quite a few more days uh, of shooting, and you have. Uh, you have a longer schedule, typically, on a pilot, and you have more money on a pilot than you have for any typical hour of television. And and this show, Breaking Bad, was 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 no uh, exception. And back when we shot the pilot, back in uh, when was that, Melissa? It was two thousand seven. It was two thousand seven. Yeah. It was March of two thousand seven. Right, March of two thousand seven. And when we shot the pilot, we had uh, well, originally we had fourteen days. But it wound up going 15 and a half because I got the flu and we had taken insurance day. Uh, insurance day is when the, through some act of God or somebody, the uh, uh, main actor or the director, somebody getting sick. And I was really sick. We I think exploited it, your illness to our advantage. Exactly. And we got yeah. some more time. It and was they, very sick. Well, and, and, you know, and they, they thought, I think the Sony thought I was faking it a little bit. Wasn't and, Brian, like, running around? Which he around? was not. I was not. No. I was definitely he, not. It, it, was, it was, like, 80 degrees, and you were covered in a yeah. blanket. Brian's shivering. running around yes. in his underwear, and you're, like, you have, like, a down coat with a big old hood on, like an Eskimo. Yeah, it was, I felt lousy. But uh, um, we got, it, it actually ultimately helped to show that we had to wind up having another extra day of shooting. Uh, anyway, all of this to say, uh, sorry. Went off on a tangent as usual, but to all this to say Your that, show, man. that uh, having having 15 days to shoot an hour of television is very, very, very different than having eight days to shoot an hour of television. So I really, in a sense, in a very real sense, uh, I have never directed an episode of Breaking Bad. I, the pilot really, in a sense, does not count. I've never done a, a just an episode like all the other directors having to do it within eight days, which is it is so hard to do this show and I, it was a very humbling experience and I'm not saying that in any kind of sense of false modesty it was I got my butt kicked every day of the but eight you days. did an awesome job and you finished on time you did not go over 
not a minute. So you do, you do fantastic, and it's excellent. It's an, an amazing episode, wow. and it was so wonderful for the crew and the cast mm -hmm. to have you down there and to be able to sort of work with you that immediately. I think that that meant a lot to everybody. Well, it it, it was wonderful for me, and I, uh, I I it was just great being on the set because you know this season I I barely got to go to Albuquerque. You know, and uh, it was great being around. Because you were writing in the writers' room in Los Angeles. Yeah, Vince, explain to everybody why it is that you can't that you can't go and direct more, as much as we wish that you could. Well, I should start by saying other showrunners manage to to make use of their time better than I do. There's a lot of folks who are good at multitasking, and my hat is off to them. And I wish I were a better multitasker, but I. I'm not real good at walking and chewing gum at the same time. So, it, it, and, I, and I'm not being—I'm not—I'm not trying to sound like I'm being like you know all shucks modest. I, I, there's a lot of things I am good at, but I'm not good at doing two things at once. And the thing that's most—the thing I can give to the show that's most important for the show, the thing I can—the thing I can do that is most valuable for Breaking Bad is to be in the writers' room and work with the writers and and you know oversee the process of, of breaking a season of television, breaking stories, breaking means coming up with actual plots. And I don't certainly don't do it alone. I have I have wonderful, wonderful writers, pretty much all of whom, if you've been listening to this podcast this season, you've you've heard speak on various other podcasts for other episodes. I have wonderful, wonderful writers. And being sort of the uh, you know in a room with these folks and making sure the show goes in the direction we, we want it to go in and, and tell stories that will keep the, the viewers engaged for 13 hours of, of, of season, uh, 13 episodes, is the most important thing I can do. And you guys, my two wonderful producers here, you guys make sure that on the ground in Albuquerque things get done the way they should get done and, and that the crew is running at optimal efficiency and that folks are happy and that the hours get made and the directors make their days and uh, and that, you know, everything works out. And shit doesn't hit the fan. The shit doesn't <laughs> hit the fan. And uh, I don't need to be around for that. I like to be around for it. It's more fun being on the set than it is being in the writer's room. Not because I don't love the writers, but come on, you know, the shiny toys and the cameras and the actors and watching the fun actually, <laughs> watching it all actually come to life is always going to be more fun than it is being stuck in a dingy little room in, uh, in outer Burbank, you know, where we well, are here. Can well, I, it's, can it's I it's take because... your place? You can go to Albuquerque and I'll take your place in the writer's room. <laughs> uh, you know what, though? We, we are so grateful to what you guys do in the writer's room because every week when we get a new script, Everybody in Albuquerque, we, we, we can't wait because when we open these scripts, they are so exciting. They, you know, they're such a great surprise. And all, we, all of us can think there is, is that uh, we just hope we don't mess it up because it's that good. <laughs> you know, we, we want to take what you guys have created on the page and, and, and get it to the screen and, and, uh, and make you guys proud because it is, it is so wonderful to work on a show that has such brilliant writing. It, it's such a treat. Uh, you're very sweet. And uh, it's just a, it's a group effort. This show is, and and I just uh, you know for for three seasons now, I've been, you know, in the editing room. Uh, you know, I, this is this is karma. This is payback because in the editing room, and you can speak to this, Kelly. And I love our directors, but I, I'll sit in the editing room and say, "Damn it! Why didn't they get this shot? Why didn't they get it? Why didn't they let this shot run a little longer? Why didn't they?" I get I get payback in spades there because. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, oh my God! There's not enough yeah, time. Yeah, it's like so now we can go. Ah, 
Why didn't the dirt? Why didn't you? You know? Why didn't you let this run long? No, I'm just kidding. No, it's no. You're not. Yeah, it's you, true. You did it to yourself. It's true. Like, like why the yeah. hell didn't I get what this? What the angle? hell was I thinking? What was I thinking? Why didn't I get this shot? I, I, I'd be lying if I didn't say that we were all thrilled for you to <laughs> share this experience with I know. us. I'm <laughs> like, being uh-huh. on the cold, and, and you know, you look up uh, because time means everything mm-hmm. as a television director. It's important for directing big movies, period. But I, I tell you, no offense to movie directors, and you know, some wonderful, wonderful, amazing movies being done. And but movie directors, by and large, do not have the time crunch that television directors have. And having to, you know, having to, what's that old joke about? Uh, uh, Fred Astaire and uh, no, Ginger Rogers. Gone with, gone, and, or Gone with the Wind in the Morning, and and that one? Or no, no, different, different. <laughs> What, what is that one? They're gone with the wind God, in the morning. We're, we're, we shut up the set and we're making Gone with the Wind in the morning, and uh, I can't remember what, what it is in the afternoon, but I'm, I, Kelly, you say what it is. <laughs> I like, don't know. That's what I'm Something liking. shorter. You threw the show. Yeah, something yeah, shorter yeah, and yeah. cheaper yeah. and less, yeah. Yeah. less involved. Something yes. not period. But well, in television, I mean, it is, it's such a collaborative medium that it would be great if we could all do each other's jobs. Just yeah, to I agree. sort of, and I think yeah. it's nice that you've had this opportunity um, mm-hmm. because everybody, <laughs> you know, sort of holds a different end of it's, the it, it, it's table true that up. After I directed, this is a good point. After I directed for the first time, I wanted to call up every director that I worked with as a producer and say, I'm sorry. I, this is how I felt. <laughs> yes, uh, this is, you're putting it in a words for me there. It's exactly. All the all the all the griping I'd done under my breath, you know, uh, I get paid back for, and I wanted to apologize to everybody. <laughs> now I think that my thing was going to say about TV versus movies. It's uh, Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers did everything Fred Astaire did except backwards and in high heels, and that's <laughs> how I direct. <laughs> the high heels backwards. I found that was a secret among the yeah. crew. It, it's Good not for per- you. <laughs> it's not a perfect analogy, but the point being, uh, TV directors have to do it so much faster and so much less scheduled time and and i just felt like i was just hanging on for dear life i felt well, like, like usually you're running for your life every i just day. <laughs> running just running for you just being chased by cannibals just running you know, <laughs> just running through the forest uh being chased by you know people with spears who want to kill you and eat you <laughs> i don't know directing tv is just it's humbling i just and you know there's no way there's no way in hell i would have made it if it weren't for mike slovis mm-hmm and his wonderful crew, and the wonderful actors, and you guys, you know, because it's just it is a well-oiled machine uh, that you guys got up and running there uh, on in Albuquerque on this show, and you know, it, it, you want to come in as a director and know what you're doing and have a plan, and everybody, not just you, everybody wants that because it makes everybody's life easier. But this crew and these actors are so good, you could come in with your thumb up your behind and and not know what you're doing, and somehow something usable and more than usable something pretty good would still wind up getting shot because everybody really pulls their weight and knows what they're doing so. they, they do but but and i say this with all the the uh love in the world a crew this good though they're gonna eat you up and spit you or spit you out or what is that expression eat you for breakfast and spit you out yeah. or whatever if you don't come in knowing your stuff ends not and when you're the boss you, it, well <laughs> yeah, exactly. no i'm telling you, you hey. even yeah. more so because they their expectations were so high i mean they they you're such a, a great writer and they they were thinking, oh my god, and and you had the pressure of the fact that you got nominated for an Emmy after directing the pilot. So you had Yay. all this pressure coming in, and you delivered. You know, you mm-hmm. came in, you knew what you wanted, you had great shots. You you you. I don't know. I th- I thought it, I think it's a fantastic episode, and you absolutely rose to the occasion. Well, so thank you. It was a lot of 
No, that's a lie. It wasn't a lot of fun. It was it was satisfying. It wasn't fun every minute. It was kind of like it was painful, but You've it been, was. Are you but it being again? with the crew was fun. Yeah, I'd love to do it again. I mean, I, well. Uh, but are you going to do it again? If we possibly work, the reason it worked this season, the reason I didn't do it before now, is because this season we had uh, we've never shot over the Christmas holiday uh, ever. Uh, not in season one. Not in season two. We only for the first time broke the season over across the Christmas holiday for the first time in season three. And uh, uh, usually we, we work very hard to be done by about December 18th or and so. And that's pretty much across the board unless you're on a show that goes like 22 episodes or something. Yeah. But can you guys talk about why that well, is? But I'm uh, sorry to finish the thought. This allowed me, breaking over uh, the Christmas holiday, allowed me to write the last episode over the two weeks I had uh, off for Christmas. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to do it. So I'm hoping some uh, scheduling-wise, I'm able to... to i got to have some time off to actually write the episode I'm going to direct. Otherwise, I, I don't... Because prepping, you have to be able to prep your episode uh, in the eight-day cycle before you actually shoot it. And that is a full-time job, getting ready to shoot it. But you can't be writing the episode while you're prepping it. At least I can, because again, I can't. Well, you do lose more. those prep days if you're yeah. behind closed although doors you, writing. Although you yeah. did do some writing, I while, did while you were prepping, and you I did. Pull and it I off. think this show might have suffered slightly for it, and not hugely. But I mean, anytime you're not prepping, uh, that's you know pre-production time, time spent planning what you're going to do mm-hmm. when you got a hundred people standing around watching you, and the clock is ticking, mm-hmm. you know, very loudly in your ear. Anytime you you take away from time spent planning what you're going to do in advance of actually doing it, you're you're robbing yourself as a director. That, that's the same for movies, I'm sure, but it's especially again, especially true in TV where time yeah. is paramount. You know, I I'm not a writer though, and I got I have to imagine I have to imagine that it as you're writing an episode or anything that you're going to shoot it you're you're prepping it as a director i mean you're you're writing it and as you're writing it knowing thinking of your shots and thinking of how you want to tell this story you know it's funny it is kind of true but then you stop yourself at a certain point at least i do because i'm not a fast writer to begin with it's, mm-hmm. it's surprising i wound up in television because you you have to write pretty quickly and i've i'm a hell of a lot faster writer than i was when i started on the x-files way back when but i'm still not that fast for a tv writer and one thing that slows me down as a writer is 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 whether I'm directed or not is spending too much time trying to visualize every last detail, uh, you know, of a particular scene. And sometimes it doesn't behoove you to do that because it slows you down. And and that's not, you know, it's it's for other people to figure a lot of that stuff out. I mean, I like putting we all my writers and I uh, we all like putting in more detail than usually goes into a television script. Uh, a, a lot of really great showrunners who created and run very great shows. Uh, Mad Men actually springs to mind. Wonderful, wonderful show. Mad Men is. Uh, I've never actually read one of the scripts, but I hear it's it's. There's not a lot of time spent, uh, not a lot of page uh, surface area spent on describing the scene. It's mm-hmm. basically, you know, you know, Don Draper walks in the room, and then you know the dialogue, mm-hmm. and I and that is a absolutely smart way of doing it because uh and that is a time-honored way of doing it too because that is leaving the blocking to the director and the actors and that is uh and again forgive me if i've got this wrong but i i think this is the way they do it over there it's it's a it's a it's a absolutely smart way of doing it 
where you leave more of it to the actual day of shooting. And you you know, and having said that, I know Matt Weiner has a is a very smart guy who's got a plan for everything he puts and puts on the page, he puts in front of the lens. He's 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 in complete control over there of, of because it's his show and he's a smart guy and he knows what he what he wants. But he doesn't feel as much of a need to put it on the page. And I'm kind of neurotic and anal. And for me, I want it all on the page. You know, what color is uh, Betsy's shoes? You know, whether it's silver, although, what color? Although, what is it? <laughs> yeah, the purple. Although, although course, sometimes I mean, we get, although sometimes we get something like. Uh, now, as for the look of this, whatever our wonderful cinematographer Mike Slovis would like to do, or whatever great, fantastic, amazing shot that our director will do that will blow us away, you guys will do that sometimes too, which is which is yeah, we mix it up a little. But yeah. I mean, uh, we 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 err on the side of uh, way too much detail. But this is uh, me being erotic and being 800 miles away and feeling like I, I if I can get it all on the page in the first place, you guys know more what we're thinking, and I and yeah. also I I perhaps get to talk on the phone less, which I, well, I hate what, talking on the phone. You guys so speak to us that. in the scripts. We like it. Yeah. You guys tell the us scripts stuff. are incredible blueprints. Yeah. We, we, your, your outlines are incredible blueprints. We love it. It gives us direction of, you know, where to head. And the thing about Matt Weiner is, uh, not to keep, but just to, to show the differences, they shoot in Los Angeles. The writer's room's in Los Angeles. And my understanding is he goes downstairs from the writer's room and he can visit the set we can't do that because we're 800, 800 miles away, so not as much would would be needed in a script. Uh, you wouldn't need to put as much detail in. I, I'm not talking dialogue, but again, off-camera directions and whatnot. But it's just two different ways of doing it. Uh, it's apples and oranges. There's no right way, no wrong way, uh, and both ways can work very nicely. And uh, yeah, but the way we do it is 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 probably. Super detailed, bordering on obsessive, so, <laughs> but uh, it helps. I mean, it helps in our case. So, hey, can we talk a little bit about the actual episode, though, Vince? Because this is like, like we're finishing up our season. How did you guys decide? You know what you were going to do. I mean, you've made some really big decisions this year. So, I mean, when you started in the writers' room in last May, did you guys know what you were going to do by episode thirteen? Did you know what was going to happen and how did that all go down? And we we did it different this season. Uh, um, last year, uh, season two, for, for folks who saw season two, obviously when you think about it, you realize, gee, if they started season two with a teddy bear in a swimming pool, and they ended season two with a teddy bear in a swimming pool, they knew from the get go how the season was going to end, and that is correct. We spent, gosh, four, five, six weeks in the writers' room just just talking about the grand. Uh, the bold strokes of the season and how, and because we, we knew we wanted to, pretty early on, we knew we wanted to do a bookend season where the beginning was the end. Uh, well, not, that's not really what you call bookend, sort of circular. Anyway, whatever, however you would term it, the beginning of season two was the end of season two, which, which it therefore follows. We had to know where the hell we were headed. This season, because we did it last year that way, and we like to mix it up, we don't want to do anything twice if we can help it just because we want to keep things fresh for the viewers and for ourselves. This season, season three, we said, let's not know exactly where we're going this season. So to answer your question about season three and the way it ends in the episode you guys, uh, 313, you guys have presumably just seen with uh, with Walt in big trouble at the laundry and about to be killed by uh, Mike and, uh, and Jesse having to save Walt. 
that was uh, a relative came relatively late in the game we came up with that idea just um however many months ago not not that long ago so but knowing that you were going to direct episode 13 you didn't have ideas at that point knowing you were going to write and direct you didn't know what you together wanted to do at that point you're just saying well i'm just going to direct the last one whatever it is yeah that was sort of it and and yeah you have to the story has to be the the, the, the story you have to tell First and foremost, you got to make the the season make sense and make the episodes make sense, and 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 you just it, yeah. I mean, we just all I knew I didn't have any cool ideas for scenes or whatnot that I held out in reserve and waited until the last episode to use. Uh, we just let the chips fall where they may, uh, story wise, and but I just knew the only one I'd have a chance to actually direct would be the last one. So I didn't know when I signed on to do it what that episode would be until relatively recently. So, oh, sorry. And I have a question just about the episode. That whole sequence with Mike and the chemical factory, that's a pretty surprising turn for the finale. Yeah. How did that, I'm just curious how that came into play. All right, you know what? Just so people aren't confused that, you know, because I mean, even when I read it, I was like, well, I don't understand, but I just kind of said, well, I understand that this is something else, but I didn't really understand that, it's actually a factory that produces this stuff that they need. That, I don't think it's a factory per se. Or, I think it's a warehouse. It, oh, just, okay, okay, yeah. yeah. But it's this Chinese company that's getting yeah. their chemicals yeah. for the meth production. Well, if you look closely, uh, you, there's episodes throughout the season going back probably to season, uh, uh, going five. back probably to episode five. Six, five or six. It's five when we first see the super lab. Yeah. Lay eyes on the super lab. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's episode five. Going back to episode five, uh, maybe not five because the, the whole place isn't quite up and running yet, but at least episode six, you notice, if you notice the black chemical 55-gallon drums in the background of certain shots, if you notice there is a golden uh, moth uh, ideogram, or not an ideogram, but just a, basically a graphic, a design on the, on the barrel ends, on the drum ends, and it's a it's sort of a golden moth. And unfortunately, and this is, again, how the director screwed up, meaning me, but uh, the name of that chemical warehouse is Golden Moth, uh, Golden Moth Incorporated. Uh, it had some other part, some other element of the name, but, uh, and it was, we had it in uh, Chinese characters and we had it in English, too. But the only time in our art department, uh, Mark Freeborn and our wonderful uh Mike Daigle, our painter, uh, and, uh, and our wonderful art department made this great Michael sign. Michael Flowers. Uh, Michael Flowers. Our, 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 he's our art director now, right? No, no I'm sorry. Art that's art Bjorn is our... Jesus. Yeah. Yes. Jesus. <laughs> they carry me on a sedan chair. I don't actually know anybody's <laughs> name. I, I try... I, no one hey can you. have eye contact with me. It's, it's very important that nobody look Artie, me directly in the eye. Now, Bring anyway, Acti with you. Michael Flowers are... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, Acti! Act faster. Cammy, come over here. But, uh, make me a sandwich. <laughs> anyway, uh, Michael Flowers, our set decorator, yes. And uh, Bjorn is our uh, art director. Anyway, all these wonderful uh, folks. And Vicky, who's very sweet. Indeed. Vicky, yeah. Vicky, Vicky who could Vicky run the world. Williams, but, yes. But uh, runs the art department. But anyway, uh, all this to say that our wonderful folks, uh, they, you know, sometimes they make a lot of fun things that don't really show up on screen like they should although we do try our best, all the directors do. In this case, I wanted the folks to see the sign that said Golden Moth, but uh, you're running for your life, and, you know, when you're out there, and we had to do this, 
you know, when the only time to see it is, 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 is the sign is on the exterior of the building, and this was at like 2.30 in the morning. We're shooting the sequence where uh, Mike uh, kills the two guys out front with the uh, the silenced, uh, the suppressed, uh, that forty five caliber pistol he's got. And the darn pistol, something kept going wrong with it. It kept jamming. It, the slide kept locking open, and the, the, the blanks weren't cycling through it right, and just take after take, and the... We've got 15, 20 minutes, 15 minutes, 10 minutes left before they <laughs> shut us down, you know. It's, it's, it's really wonderful telling Vince Gilligan that he's going to get the plug pulled on. Yeah. Him. <laughs> but you know, because the, the guns don't work, too. Well, it's always something. And, you know, we had a very good armorer, and uh, he figured it out. Yeah, but it's, it's not unusual, by the way. Back in episode two of last season, the huge shootout between Tuco and uh, Hank. Uh, uh, Charlie Hay directed so wonderfully. Uh, the shootout was such a pain in the ass because the damn M16 kept jamming. Because uh, that's just what happens. <laughs> mm-hmm. A full-on bullet makes those uh, mechanisms work the way they're supposed to when they when they fire through them. But blanks are, by their very nature, less powerful, and they don't make the mechanism work properly uh, as well. Anyway, all this to say, I had a cool shot where we were going to see the uh, sign, and we never got to it. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know, there's all kinds of things. Uh, any director can tell you stories about the would have, the should have been's and the would have been's. But these are, the... these are like, these are cartel guys coming to take the, to take over this, this thing to, to, to prevent <laughs> Gus from getting this equipment. I mean, from getting the chemicals. And Mike goes and takes care of the situation. It's, it's it's purposely left pretty vague, and it's and it's also, I mean, uh, it's probably not giving away too much to say. This this may be uh, a little uh, thread of plot that may be of interest to us in season four. You know, it's 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 expanding our world world a little bit. Our yeah. understanding of the way of the fact the very the very fact that if nothing else, it, it helps broaden our understanding of Gus and that this guy as as smart as he is and cold blood and ruthless he's got his own set of problems that we perhaps uh, outside of Walt right. outside of Walt yeah, exactly. he causes yeah. does that mean we're going to China <laughs> yes good thing we've got all the production money in the world good thing money is no issue on this show I think we're just going to build the Great Wall Right. Well, only the parts you can see from space. That's what about what the, uh, the the really funny? I mean, you have to remind me because I can't remember the script. But when when the scene where um, Mike is asking Chow, yeah. you know, about the woman in the front, yeah. and you know, he's like, what you know, and she does this whole long thing in Chinese. What did the script actually say? In it. I can't remember now, but I don't think that joke was in there. I think that was one of those target targets of opportunity. That's not the right really? expression. I but thought it was, it was in there, and then I read it. I just don't remember what it actually said. You know said. what? Don't quote me on that, because maybe it is. But, I mean, the thing about him saying she drives a Camry, that kind of stuff, it just... You know, you do a, you do the you do a four or five takes. You do it enough times, and you, you want to mix it up and, and, and keep it fresh. So, in between takes, I'd, you know, I'd say, hey, you know, I'd whisper to the actor... Did a wonderful job, James. 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 James did a wonderful James. job. He's so funny. He does such a great job. He's a local. Uh, he's Albuquerque. great. He's from, yeah, he's from Albuquerque. Yeah. But I'd say to James, what this time uh, when Mike says to you, and I wouldn't, you know, you don't want to tell. I don't want to tell Mike because I want to see what uh, Jonathan Banks's reaction is going to be. <laughs> so, so Jonathan's going to say she good driver. So I whisper to James this time, say she's got a camera. <laughs> you know, it's just stuff like that. But uh, I think it was also. 
I think I, uh, the actress. Uh, who played Peng. Um, Peng? I, I'm, a, I'm afraid I would mispronounce her name. That's uh, me too. If you're listening, uh, lady who played Peng, you did a wonderful job. <laughs> wonderful job. She was very sweet, a nice lady. Mm -hmm. uh, spoke perfect English and perfect, uh, I believe, Cantonese. Is that right? It was Mandarin. I think we went with Mandarin. But, but when that yeah. line, when she says, when he says, she says yes. Yeah, I don't know if that was in, I can't honestly remember, I, you know, I can't remember anybody's I name. I think that I was something was we discovered in the auditions. I yeah. think it that was, was, that was I mean, in the audition process. It was, it was, it was something that was really ended up being really funny. It was, yeah, it was, it was something I, that we in the in the prep process we uh, we I think evolved. Okay, evolved it's hilariously in the prep funny. But I remember Melissa, I asked you a couple of weeks ago what she actually said, and you told me that you guys made sure that she didn't like there were no she, curse yeah, words she wasn't or anything. Saying she, anything she, rude. when we were when we were auditioning these ladies, um, it, it, it was funny that they were saying this stuff in a language that we couldn't understand and I think it was in that point that, that we said, you know, wouldn't it wouldn't it be funny if she went on and on and on and was? then he said, yeah. the, you know she, says yes. she said yes because of course <laughs> you know, it, Jonathan or Mike has no idea what the character, and what so the actor said. how so. was it though on the other takes because I cut the second half of this um, yeah, this, this is a different episode. episode you, yeah. you and Skip, uh, we shared it. Uh, split that's this in half. First time. That's the first yeah. time. Yeah. What was but that it, like, Kelly? It was just like cutting any other episode, really. I mean, you know, but yeah, I just didn't see the stuff in at the beginning because you know, in the in a way, I don't know if it was on purpose or maybe it was, but it was kind of like the episode is in really two parts anyway. And what's interesting is they both kind of start with the same scene. Well, I guess the. That oh, that's a good point. Starts with, yeah. It starts Act Four, but it was like mm -hmm. yeah. you know you, you have that whole shootout. That whole business is happening in Act One and Two, and teaser Acts One and mm -hmm. Two, and then Acts Three and Four are you know okay now we have a plan. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, well, you both did a great job as usual as thanks. always. You and Skip both uh, cut cut the heck out of this episode and uh, did a great job. But it's just that you know I I just I remember asking you also because this. I learn so much sometimes, and I know people in, out there learn a lot from our show, um, as we've seen in the news. Um, but this whole thing about the balloons, um, I want to ask you about this, because I remember you telling me, um, I think it was during the first season, you told me a story about um, when Walt uh, you know, does the thing with the battery in the car. Oh, uh, way back in uh, Ken Wins. Yeah, when Ken, in Ken Wins' car, and you said that that actually happened, your brother actually did that in your driveway when you were in high school. It's easy to blow up a battery. It really is because because when you're, especially when you're charging them, again, I sound like Mr. Science here. It, 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 anything I say, especially if it comes down to chemistry, go and double check it, you know, before you quote it to anyone. But I think I'm right on this. When you're when you're charging a battery or when it's discharging, but maybe especially when it's charging, uh, the uh, a byproduct that is produced is, uh, is uh, hydrogen gas. And uh, literally, because the uh, something with the electrolytes and the electricity and yada yada and the whatever, uh, uh, hydrogen gas uh, can result and it can be ignited because it's very flammable. It filled up to Hindenburg, after all, and it can be ignited with a spark. And my brother was out in our driveway, uh, my mom's house. Uh, he was a teenager and I was home from college or something. And I was inside watching TV and we heard this cup. Boom! <laughs> louder than a shotgun. It was. It was louder than that. It was pretty damn loud. 
And we were like, oh, my God, he's dead. And we were on that side, and he had been charging the car and probably smoking. We had a cigarette dangling from his mouth, too. And luckily, though, he had turned away, and the hood was open. And, and with this thing, went, uh, this, his battery blew up, blew the entire top right off the battery. you got to be real careful because it's dangerous. And also, you get, you know, uh, battery acid sprayed in your face doing that, which is... Be very careful if you're charging <laughs> your uh, car battery at home to but follow then, the instructions there. So, did your brother like release some some uh, uh, mylar balloons on a transfer? No, my no, no, no. My <laughs> brother gave me the idea for the Ken wins uh, battery thing way back in season one. But the mylar balloon thing is uh, it's just one of those weird facts that uh, and don't try this at home for God's sake. But uh, apparently, uh, a big cause of uh, power outages is these balloons, these clusters of mylar balloons get away from people uh, and they they cross, uh, they, they short circuit uh, power. They have been known in real life to, uh, it happens for more often than we'd like to think, but it can short circuit these power lines and uh, blow out uh, whole, you know, circuits, blow out whole sections of town, you know. Uh, the power in big sections. Yeah, of we town. had that, we had a guy from the electric company. Um, that sounds like an old TV show. Um, come in and speak to us about that and tell us how it works. And they actually yeah. have those uh, trip. What do they call? They them? had some called a cutout. A it's cutout, a giant right? uh, uh, mechanical circuit breaker thing that's up on the way up these poles. Right. So yeah. so if a, if, if a, and they do have mylar balloons that do that that uh, will short circuit the wires. But then these cutoffs will cut it off from going or cut beyond, out or cut out or cut out or cut a, off or whatever a, it's called to a, yeah, a, yeah. a wider area. Yeah, yeah. So to limit the to, right issue. to limit well, the damage. It'll kill the power because if you don't kill the power and the power keeps coursing through a short circuit it'll cause a fire it'll melt things it mm -hmm. could cause an explosion the transformer can can blow up and catch fire you can see this stuff on youtube it's pretty horrific and vince, but it's vince was real really thing. really concerned that people would watch this episode and go take mylar balloons and, yeah, for God's and, and, sake. Short circuit. and we, we were saying vince i think we got bigger concerns than the my mylar balloon part of it. Oh. actually the mylar balloon part is pretty big i just if any, you know anyone who's going to try this smack Don't, him in the head yeah. really hard because it is, a bad, ben Skilligan. it is a bad idea, <laughs> so don't do this at home. But where did you where did you hear about it? I I can't even remember. I mean, I I I, I just I, Google it. There's a lot of stories. There there are, but when I first heard about it, it was probably years years ago. I had this idea. You know, this goes against something I was saying a little earlier. But you you do. I mean, we we didn't know what we were building toward this season, toward the season end, the season finale. But you do have, as a writer, you collect anecdotes and you collect stories and you collect sort of like a comedian collects jokes or whatever. I mean, you collect anecdotes as a writer and you file them away in your brain somewhere. And I had this idea of a character who, uh, a very uh, strange image of a, a very tough guy with a bundle of, uh, with a whole uh, batch of balloons you know, and you're wondering where this guy's headed with these balloons, and he lets him go, and, he, and then he walks into a building, and he, you know, once the power's gone dead, he walks in and just executes everybody. I probably had this idea, I don't know, five, six, I don't know how many years ago. I was going to perhaps use it in a movie script, use it somewhere, and I realized, lo and behold, you know, blowing the dust off some of these, you know, figuratively speaking, blowing the dust off some of these weird ideas I had in my head for a long time, for years, I realized this old idea I had had for a movie script would actually work here in uh, our season ender. So you just you, you compile things away and you you, 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 you know and then 
you every now and then they submerge out of your subconscious and you say i can use this now in this particular episode so well okay on this show since you said you're running for your life and it was really really hard now that you've done it and now that we've seen it and now it's locked and everything um what would you do differently what would i do about this particular episode there was uh you know the, the crew who worked very hard out in the cold on this episode as they do on all the episodes uh, we'll, except for when it's blazingly hot. Except for when it's blazingly hot, they're working in the cold. <laughs> it's always miserable, one way or the other. Too, too hot or too. That's too why nice. I work in the post. The script that you cut out. Too. Yeah, I know. This is what I'm getting at. Uh, the 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 crew. Uh, I always feel bad when, when the crew watches some of these episodes, and they probably notice certain scenes are missing. Certain scenes that they in fact worked very hard on. It's been hours on. And same with the actors. Uh, for instance, in this episode, uh, there was a whole extra oh, scene at the end of the teaser. That's right. Uh, where Walt uh, and Skyler, uh, 14, 15, 16 years ago, when they're at the end of the teaser, when they are exiting the house that is going to be their house, only they don't know it yet, uh, they get in their car to leave, and Walt's car, lo and behold, is a uh, Porsche uh, 911. It's Targa. A, Targa. It's a, it's is it a Targa. convertible or a Targa? It's convertible. Oh, uh, the no, guy explained. No, the guy explained it to me. I think it's a Targa. The, Targa is a convertible, but the, yeah. there's like a there's the one. Uh, I can't. Targa explain. has the has a glass uh, back windshield, and just the top it's little the part top comes top. off. Versus the, the convertible the, actually has like a rag top and it. Yeah. Ryan was able to leap into it. Remember that? Yeah. Anyway, it was a badass car. It was car. cool. It was a nice mm-hmm. car, and there was a whole <laughs> other element to the episode that that Walt, lo and behold, used to drive a wonderful uh, convertible Porsche. Porsche. And uh, and then there was a two and a half minute scene at the be- uh, early on in Act Four, where uh, Walt is uh, considering this terrible thing he's going to have to go do when the sun goes down, which is to go find. Uh, go to the address that Jesse has procured for him and kill Gail. And he's doing the dishes, thinking about, as soon as the sun goes down, i got to go do this terrible thing. And uh, the subject comes up, uh, Junior, uh, R.J. Mitty's character, Junior, wants to wants a car. And then the subject comes up of, Jess, uh, of uh, Walt's old Porsche, which Junior did not know about. And it was a fun scene. It was a it was a and night touching. Yeah, fun scene is not the right word. It was a it was a kind of a touching scene. Yeah, mm-hmm. the actors. It was touching because the actors played it so well. They did a wonderful job as always, and it's kind of bittersweet and emotional. And it was a perfectly nice scene that had to go by the wayside. So I, I swear to God, I am answering your question in my long-winded way. It, things I regret are wasting the company's time. And the actor's time, and by that I mean that's the producer, Vince Gilligan. Uh, it's not just a producer. I don't like waste. I don't like wasting people's time and and money. And when you waste time, it equals wasting money on a film set or on a TV set. And, and, and Vince, you you are very responsible. We there was actually a whole other scene that was in the original draft of of this episode that you cut out and prep. Yeah, we never shot actually. We, yeah, we never we never shot it what, because it was it was too much. And and Polly um, uh, Matheson, our first AD, and and all of us uh, thought that this would be a, a good scene to to probably cut out. Much to but the I dismay. fought it though. You I, did, I fought you, it. I fought you, it you, hard. You, well, you've discussed. Anyway, it hard. let me. I will tell you in a second. The the point of all this is to say, 
it's a shame when the trouble is on a TV show, you got to deliver at the time allotted. In our case, it's 47 minutes and 21 18, seconds. 18 or seconds. 18 seconds. You, you, the in bed of television, as they say. It's <laughs> a, you can't be any longer, you can't be any shorter. you got to be just 47, 18, or whatever the hell it is. So, all of this to say, you know, it's it's you never write scenes knowing they're going to go by the wayside. You assume that you have the right length to your script and you but it's all trial and error and you kind of you kind of blindly feeling your way through it sometimes because it's not that easy to gauge the running time of the finished episode from the script. There's the old the old rule of thumb is that a page of of script is a, a minute of running time, but it really is can be wildly varied. And you really can't tell. And, and so, it depends on so many yeah. things. So it, bug, yeah. it bugs me that we shot these scenes that wound up going away. Uh, yeah, but it's always better I, to have more than less. It's better to have more. You know, so but it's I, good I, to have like five or six minutes, not, not 10, 15. Anyway, uh, if you ask me, <laughs> I'm sorry about uh, the roundabout answer. The short answer, the, uh, the short answer is I hate wasting the crew's time. It's a shame to, to spend all these hours shooting something that winds up on the cutting room floor because the episode would be too long with it in. Uh, and that time you spent shooting the stuff that winds up on the editing room floor could have been used to have a little more time to get another scene that is still in the episode a little closer to perfect. So that's a bummer. There's no point agonizing over it. It's just it's like crying over spilt milk. But and it's common. It's it, common. It happens. It happens yeah. more often mm-hmm. than uh, well, we wish it would. But, but even uh, in the stuff that you did, like, you know, are there shots that you wish you had gotten, or oh, yeah. is there some way oh, yeah. that you would have planned this or that? Nothing's or perfect. Or... Nothing's even close there, to perfect. There, Vince, Vince had the experience that uh, that a lot of us directors have when you get into the editing room, and you sit there with the editors and you go, you know, let's can I take a look at that shot, uh, that that raking shot? Or I something. know I got it, and I know I shot it. And and the editor goes, no, I don't have it. No, I swear I shot it because in our heads, it's on our shot list. We've dreamed about it. We've you know we've yeah. we've, we've thought it over many times, and we forget you that shot, on the day you shot it in your head. It, yeah. We shot in our heads. And on the day we ran out of time, we didn't get it. Yeah, but that happens all the time. It you, happens you all had the a time. story. You, I'm not going to name who it was, but you had a big movie director on a movie yeah. you were working with who got he was cool up until. You told him he didn't have a shot, and he swore he had well, it. Well, I didn't got... say we didn't have a shot. I said nobody's. We haven't seen that. And he, and he got swore mad, up right? and down that yeah. he had it. He got really, really angry. Um, and he made us at the time. You know, they have what's called a video tap, where they're actually shooting video um, to run through to uh, uh, some monitors on the set. They don't do this anymore. I mean, yeah. they sh- they show video, but they don't keep it. Well, these guys you actually could if you wanted still. Yeah, yeah, but these yeah. guys actually were taping this video that they were shooting, and yeah. we had to go through those tapes to find, you know, to look through it. And that was hell, because nobody's logging that stuff. Or, yeah, that'd be a pain. You know, and no, we didn't have it, but yeah, he got very angry, and, you know, yeah. I don't know. It's like, you know, they get angry, but it's really their thing, you know. it's They're very stressed. They're looking for something that, yeah. you know, and it's it's a hard job, you know. Oh, so the scene, the scene we cut before we shot it, and it would have been a cool scene. But we just didn't have the money and the time, and we knew we'd wind up on the editing room floor, as the saying goes. Was the beginning of Act One originally was going to be you're in darkness, and you hear this rumbling of tires, and you come out of darkness, and you realize where you are. Oh, I remember. Okay. Yeah. Excuse <laughs> me. You realize where you are is underneath a car as it's driving along the road at 30 miles an hour, 
and you're underneath between the four wheels and you're looking forward if you're looking out forward that's as the asphalt's coming at you and you're just inches off the pavement and there is a bloody broken pair of sunglasses on a lanyard dangling from the undercarriage right in front of you just sort of bouncing off the pavement just twisted mangled pair of sunglasses and with little specks of blood on them and and you're like and you realize that we're underneath the Aztec and this is uh, the pair of sunglasses that one of the two guys that Walt ran over last week this belonged to him this is mm-hmm. you know uh, some detritus some some leftover ugh, you know after uh, this guy got run over so and you're driving you're and you're, and you're so you realize you're underneath the Aztec and you're like was Walt heading for the hills is he is he driving is he heading for the Mexican border is he is he on the run and then but then you realize you're not driving that fast and then you're going around these fluorescent orange cones <laughs> and you're like why are we doing this and then you pull up you realize you're pulling up to this parking space and it says on the on the concrete parking space divider it says student student driver parking only and you're like what in the hell and you realize uh uh walter jr has just taken his driver's ed his his uh his driver's test in this car this murder weapon of a car <laughs> that was used the night before to uh to, cr- to run these two guys over and the walt jr gets out and the and he says did i pass and a sort of nerdy looking driving instructor says, you know, I really shouldn't have let you take this test in a car in this condition. And the whole front of the car is stoved in. And, and Walt Jr., of course, doesn't know what happened. And he says, ah, you know, my dad ran over a mule deer last night. I'm sorry. I mean, we didn't have time to fix it, but, you know, do I pass? And Walt Jr. gets his license in this death mobile, you know. And Walt doesn't know that there's this evidence, incriminating evidence, hanging underneath. But you guys had laid the groundwork for this, starting with, with 311. Because in 311, there's the scene in the uh, uh, White House around the family table where Walt Jr. starts talking about the kind of car that he wants to buy and that he's got his right. learner's permit and that he's going to get his license soon. And then in 312... And we picked the sunglasses that one of yeah. our bullet, hood, bullet, bullet heads, heads are wearing. Such, you know, drug dealers. Is wearing, is, is wearing in 311. Yeah, and then in 312, uh, yeah. you have him taking his driving lesson. Yeah. And so this was a hard scene to, to lose. I mean, none of us wanted to lose it. We loved the way it opened up, but but it was going to be a bitch to shoot, though. It was going to be really be, tough. We we I have some some sample footage that we did trying to figure out how to shoot underneath the. I think I have yeah. uh, video footage of Vince lying underneath a car dangling a pair of sunglasses. <laughs> yeah, it was going to be it was going to be tricky. We we're going to need a special kind of right angle lens, and we we're going to put a hole in the yeah. f- in the floor of the we're uh, get a car. Snorkel and, lens, or no? What was it called? Uh, was it, we used something on the pilot called a. Uh, uh, T-Rex lens. It was a Fraser, a Fraser lens. I think we were going to use. Well, we, you know, we mentioned it to Michael Slovis, the Fraser or the Slant or something. He he didn't like so much. He had another idea. It might have okay. been the T-Rex. This the T-Rex lens is the one we used on the pilot, and I, this may not have been the one, but the one we used on the pilot where we start way up the muzzle of the what looks to be up the muzzle of the of the pistol, and we pull out, and it's Walt in his underpants mm-hmm. pointing the gun down the down the empty road. Out in the desert, that was a tough shot to get. But that yeah. was uh, John Toll and his crew got that. And you guys used a T Rex. I think it was called a T Rex. Yeah, cool. so it was like this. Cool. It was like this two or three foot long lens, crazy looking, super expensive rental, you know. But uh, it was cool. Um, well, gee, I mean, you know, there's so many questions. I, you know, and I hate. I don't want to put you on the spot, but have you thought about what's next? Not not as much as I'd like to. I'd like to say, oh yeah, I got it all figured out. But no, I mean, you know, this is a, you know, folks watching this episode are probably like, oh my god, 
know, Jesse has come, Walt has certainly come so far in this, in these three years, and Jesse has too, and this is, this is the cancer in some sense, the way I put it anyway, and feel free to disagree, feel free to have your own interpretation, but in a lot of ways this is a show about cancer, uh, about a guy whose impetus for, for becoming a criminal in the first place is his terminal cancer diagnosis, but in a me- metaphoric sense, you know, this is a show about cancer in the fact, in the, in the sense that Walt himself is kind of a cancer on the people around him, the yeah. people he loves, his family. Yeah, I can't say he really loves Jesse, but Jesse's important to him as well. And, and just this terrible decision Walt made way back in the pilot to become a criminal in order to help his family has has uh, borne some very bitter fruit here. And, you know, it's just like Jesse is such a sweet kid. He's like... Uh, He's a he's a good kid. He's 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 loyal to a fault. He's uh, and he does this terrible thing. Sure looks like he does it. I think you know. It, I don't know, but it, it looks like he's done a very. He's 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 really gone out on a limb here to help out his uh, his partner, and uh, and it's and it maybe lost a big chunk of his soul in the bargain, and it's a it's a pretty rough ending for a season, and uh, it does beg the question: what what's going to happen next? And uh, I'd love to say I got it all figured out, but, uh, you know, what would be the fun in that if I already had it for me, <laughs> if I had it already all figured out? Uh, we're going to have to the, the usual panic at the beginning of season four in the writer's room where we say, man, we really painted ourselves into a corner this year. You guys it's going to be deja vu all over again because be, <laughs> we'll be in the writer's room saying, oh, my God, where do we go from here? But, but you know, knock on wood, we'll uh, figure it out as we have in the past. So I have a question for Melissa. Um, Melissa, you were on the pilot with Vince, who wrote and directed it, and you were a producer on this episode who wrote and directed it. Was it any different from the very beginning? Um, that's a, I mean, you know, I think the, the thing about the pilot for Vince, or from my observation, was that he knew it so well at that point and had gotten to know the characters so well in his mind and I think in his heart that, that I, I think the directing part of it came very naturally, as it did this mm-hmm, season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I just think you'd spent so much time with that script that it, it was a very sort of organic process and it never felt like, you know, I know, I mean, that, that was only what, the third episode of television you directed at that point? The pilot, yeah. 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 And it, it certainly didn't seem like that at all. Um, everything was new at that point. You know, the actors were just getting to know one another. Mm-hmm. Um, the sets were new. So we were getting used to so many things at once that I, it's hard to isolate that. Um, but, and we were, you know, we were so lucky then as we are now with Michael Slovis, we had John Toll, this, you know, two time winning Oscar, Oscar winning DP, uh, who's such a leader on the set. That's true. And, and Brian, you know, who, who just stepped into Mm -hmm. this role and, and really it was like another skin for him. All our actors just, just stepped into their roles and, you know, we just, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So it, that, and that yeah. was magical. That was right. really exciting to see these people take on these roles. And I mean, we had, you know, this, you know, hand job scene that we have in this, the penultimate ep- episode of this season. You know, there's one of those in, in the pilot, you know, when, when yeah, Anna and Brian barely knew theme. each other. I mean, you know, I mean, it, uh, so, so then, so other than the time thing, yeah. now here you are three years later. Yeah, yeah. What, what was it? How, how different was it? 
What, it's, the hand jobs? It always comes around to the hand jobs. <laughs> how different was it? How different was how, it? How different directing? was it directing the same group of people now three years later whose characters have been, have been evolving? Well, there's a lot years. of, sh- the, the good news is there's a lot of shorthand with this this newest, this this episode, 313, a lot of shorthand, uh, it, as, as Melissa just said, there's not a lot of time spent getting to know each other because mm-hmm. you already know each other. Mm-hmm. But uh, I felt more in control oddly enough, as a director on the pilot than I did on this episode because just the lack of time you have to do an hour, uh, and, and not just an hour of TV. Actually, a lot of shows, to be fair, some folks listening uh, who know about the business may roll their eyes and say, shit, man, the show I work for, my cousin mm-hmm. works for, or whatever, shoots it in seven days. Mm-hmm. You know, eight days nowadays in television, especially on basic cable, is a bit of a luxury, I should probably say. There are shows that shoot it in seven but I, I got to say, for the the amount, the, the scope of this show, or the scope we try to achieve, and the amount of time we're out on location, six days out of six days out of eight, usually, uh, typically, we're out on location, and which means moving trucks and moving people around, and all the number of locations we 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 use, and all this stuff makes it incredibly ambitious doing mm-hmm. this in eight days, and you just. I just felt like the whole time, again, I'm repeating myself, I just felt like I was running for my life in a way that I didn't feel like on the pilot. And uh, I felt like I knew what I was doing more on the pilot, oddly enough, although I didn't have the understanding of the characters I have now, and I didn't know the actors and the crew like mm-hmm. I do now. Mm-hmm. But having that extra time to, to say, you know what, give me a minute here, and go off and stand by yourself for a minute and say, thank yourself, how do I want to do this? You know, I want to, what if I do it this way? You know, having that extra time is, is worth more than its weight in gold. Did you have any pinch you me moments? You can lay time. Uh, pinch. Did you have any pinch me moments? Pinch me? Oh, yeah. my gosh. Because here you were directing three years later yeah. on your fabulously successful television series. You know, I mean, the last time you directed was on the pilot. I mean, that I don't know. Pin, pinch, pinch me, me on, moments, on like, pinch me, I can, you know. Like, 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 oh, my God, I can't believe that it's... It's a good day to be you, as I always say. Not, not directing, because oh. it's just too tough a job. <laughs> but uh, I have those a lot, uh, especially when things slow down a little, and I think to myself, I do have them a lot. I think to myself, I'm so lucky to have this job. I, this is the most creatively fulfilling job I've ever had, and I've been lucky to work in the X-Files for seven years, and I've written movies that have been made. I've been extraordinarily fortunate, but I've never had this level of creative control and say on something that I created, and it's just, it's its probably never going to be this good again. You know, after this show ends, after the Breaking Bad series ends, I don't know. You know, I may go on to, you know, make a good living on other things, but I don't know that I can't imagine how something could be as satisfying as this job. So, yeah, I have those pinch me moments when I, all the time when I think of it in those terms, but not so much when I'm actually out there directing out in the cold. <laughs> Freaking out. So, hey, we got to talk about David Costa. I was going to say that. Yeah. Right? Before we go, we got to wrap it up. But, oh, uh, yeah. Okay. But talk well, a little about David. And we got to say about David Costable. Yeah. Uh, he is such a wonderful actor and such a sweet guy. Talk about how you didn't cut the part where he's singing along no, to Crop Pilata, which is, by the way, a wonderful song found for us, as usual, by Thomas, Thomas Goljevich, who's uh, our wonderful music supervisor. He finds this amazing song. This Italian song from the 30s? Yeah, it's a Milanese song. Milanese. So, it, so it's in a, a very particular Italian dialect. D- and David got it ahead of time and learned 
the song. He that does not. the bomb. We should wrap it up. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Oh. Uh, well, I just, I just would love to take the opportunity to say thank you for all the, to all the actors and the crew members that participated this season. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you, Kelly, and Vince for hosting these podcasts, which was incredible, and for everybody behind the scenes that made them all happen. You know, starting with Curtis Thurber and mm-hmm. Gordon Smith and um, Sheridan sure. Satello Williams. Did I say that right? <laughs> No, William Satella. And, yeah. and I knew I always we're get gonna, it. We're going to we're going to run out. I'm so. partially dyslexic. Um, but Diane Mercer and uh, Andrew Ortner mm-hmm. and Kate Powers mm-hmm. and um, I and I and I also wanted to add to that just my incredible. I'm very grateful to the to the cast and crew and obviously uh, to Vince Gilligan and, and and Melissa Bernstein and Stu Lyons and the and the writers and AMC who are the the most incredible supportive network uh, to to work for. I was fortunate enough to direct three episodes and be a producer this season, and it has been wonderfully creatively rewarding, and and, uh, I'm really grateful for the opportunity. It's been a great run, and uh, most of all, thanks to the folks listening to this, because I assume you're fans of the show. You must be if you're sitting through this stuff. Thank you for watching, all the (laughs) folks who watch our show, and have, have let us be on the air this long. Thank you so much, and hopefully we will be doing this again in season four. Uh, yeah, I mean, I want to thank everybody, too, out there for listening and bearing with uh, us as far as the little snafus that we had in the beginning of the season with getting this podcast out. Um, we're really, really thankful over here for all the feedback that we get. We know you guys like it. And, you know, we're, we're doing our best as far as, you know, trying to make it interesting, trying to make it sound good. And it's just really something that we just do on our off hours. I mean, we're here on a, you know, Kelly Dixon there. makes it happen. We've been oh, but I have a lot of help and we've been here on Saturdays doing this. You know, a lot of people have given up a lot of their free time cuz this is not usually done during the workday. Um so thank you everybody and uh we will hopefully see you hopefully next season. Hopefully season 4. Hopefully season 4. Right on. Let's go break bad. Yay. Yay. Oh. <laughs>